I'm never going to be able to tell my kids how to behave or what's right and what's wrong because I'm not going to be there when somebody tries to influence them. And being probably in my role that I had at such a young age, I said, if I could teach them leadership, if I could teach them what it means to be a leader, even when nobody's watching, they have the ownership of making the right decisions and owning those decisions or not even right, the most effective decisions for them at that time. And they can own it. Welcome to Mama Has Goals, your weekly reminder that you shouldn't have to sacrifice your dreams to take on the role of mom. I'm Kelsey Smith, mom of two boys, wife, and entrepreneur who's passionate about helping other moms, current and aspiring, to reimagine mom life. I'm bringing you the resources, support, and relatability to debunk that limiting belief that you may have about your ability to achieve your goals while raising a human. We're covering everything from mom guilt, marriage, relationships, careers, finances, mental health, physical health, you name it. Your life doesn't have to fully shift once you become a mom. You can have it all, and we'll show you how. Hey, mamas. Today on the Mama Has Goals podcast, I have guest Raquel Quinette. She is a highly sought after business coach, podcast host, co-author, real estate entrepreneur, and investor who has mastered the art of scaling businesses. She's the founder of Play Bigger Consulting, where they specialize in helping small business owners, real estate, and online entrepreneurs scale their business through private coaching, masterminds, and retreats. From co-owning real estate and mortgage companies to creating top-performing teams, she's helped thousands of clients buy, sell, and invest in over 23 markets. Together with her partners, she was the first female CEO to scale a real estate business to eight figures and received the prestigious award of the fastest growing privately held company by Inc. 500. And she has also been recognized by the Wall Street Journal, and she's a business strategist she has been recognized by the Wall Street Journal. She's a business strategist that has had a successful track record of breaking historical revenue goals. Today, she enjoys coaching and consulting entrepreneurs to help them scale to multiple six, seven, and eight figures. Raquel has made her mark as a real estate industry leader, business coach, and revenue growth strategist. She builds and scales companies from startups to number one real estate companies, and her mission is to help her mission is to help people play bigger in business and life. She's also a mom of two, and I was able to be able to meet her sons and hear how proud they are to watch their mom go after their goals and how she's really brought them along for the journey throughout their lives. This is such a great episode from being an entrepreneur to being a team member or a leader or truly just how you can strategize your life and your revenue. I cannot wait for you to hear from Raquel. Definitely go check her out as well as her podcast podcast, which is The Raquel Show. Can't wait for you to dive into this episode. It is so good. Raquel, I am so excited to have you here. From the moment that I met you at the Play Bigger event, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman, this mama, she for sure has goals. And I cannot wait to hear all about your story. But the event was called Play Bigger. And that's really your slogan for your business. So I'd love to just jump in and start with that. What does it mean to play bigger for you? For me personally, I think where the concept came from of Play Bigger is 
I was always around people that were bigger thinkers. And I think it's very easy to create goals. It's very easy to think bigger. But when you play bigger, you actually, there's an action word behind it and you actually are doing bigger things that make you uncomfortable. And I think that when you play bigger, you step into massive action, whatever that is for anybody, and that you inspire others to do the same. And that's really the concept of not only playing bigger in business, but also playing bigger in life. And as a child, we always had this creative side when we were playing And as we have grown up or we became adults, we kind of lost that, especially for a workaholic like me in the past is I would work, 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 work. And I'd be like, I'll do that when I retire. Work, 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 work. I'll do that when my kids get older. Right. There was always that. I'll do that later. And I believe you could have both. And I come from this shift of like, you can create a really big business and also play at the same time and create experiences. And that's really what life is about is how do we integrate the two? Yeah. And I love that as moms too, to be able to lead by example in that way, to show them that they can play and work towards their goals and dreams and follow in mama's footsteps. So I'd love for you to just give us a little bit more of a background on how you got here today. You know, you talked about that little hustle season that you had that maybe looked a little bit differently. And you've accomplished some amazing things. You have a great resume to go behind all of that. But I would love for you to just talk about what that looked like and how you have evolved into this new, more fun, playing bigger version. Yeah, so I started my first business at the age of 19. And really, it was to not even start a business, but become a real estate investor. So I had a real estate business at the age of 19 while I was going to college. And I really wanted to invest, but it ended up becoming a business. And it was my first like multi-million dollar business. And that happened because I had people around me, not because Raquel figured it out. It's because I had great coaches, great mentors. And then I opened up my next one, which was a mortgage company. And then I was already investing at that time. And what ended up happening is I got to a point of like when my son was born, my first one, Bryce, is like, I've always lived in California. I've always lived in the Bay Area. What would it look like to live out of state? And we were young enough that we were like, if we don't like it, we can always move back. What's the worst that can happen? And it was scary because at the time it was such a big decision. But I think when you're young, you have like that no fear. Just like I signed a a commercial guarantee at the age of 23 of like no fear at all. Um, Of course, I would think completely different today. And so we did that. So we ended up building a house in Arizona. And when he was six months, we had already the business, the two businesses, and it had been eight years. So that was really scary. That was probably one of the most pivotal points in my life where it's like, how do you leave a business that's thriving to go start something new that's unknown? And so we went moved to, to Arizona and I didn't have a clientele. I didn't have a database here whatsoever, but I was given an opportunity back in 2007 to run an office at the age of 25. And it was a huge, like huge, huge, huge pay cut from what we were used to making in the business. But what, what ended up happening is I was running those business. I put somebody in place to run our real estate team and then our mortgage. And then we ended up eventually sold off those two businesses. I mean, looking back, I probably wouldn't do that again. And then I became the CEO of a brokerage here in town, which is called Keller Williams. I was one of the youngest. It was 
a really crazy time because in 07, 2008, 9, 10, the years that I was a CEO, that was the biggest recession in real estate that we know about. And so I really grew up fast. And what I mean fast is I learned how to navigate when people had fear, especially your employees, especially your agents. And you've I really learned the corporate side of things during that time. A lot of people leave corporate to start businesses. I was the opposite. I got recruited into corporate and I had no clue, no idea what I was doing. I remember going into the office and somebody telling me because it was surrounded by a senior community and they were like, I think you're too young to run this office. Like that was the first hello to the office. And I just remember saying, I I might be young and I may not know what I'm doing, but let's see and let's give it a try. We turned that office. We took a, a failing business and what we call a failing market center, failing office. And we became one of the top 10 market centers in all of Keller Williams International. And there was 700 offices at the time. That opened me up to other opportunities across the country as far as leadership. And I learned leadership at such a young age. But one thing that I did have, even though I didn't know all the things, I just was not willing to give up. And I was not willing to give up on people, especially if they had the work ethic to learn. I felt like it was my responsibility to coach. And that really helped me not only coach my team better back in California, but coach the agents because I grew that office to 300 agents. That's a lot of agents with a six-month-year-old. So it's like, how do you balance all these emotions that agents are going through that you've never gone through yourself. And I think that having some of the mentors that I had at that time, as well as reading a lot of books, because I didn't think we didn't have podcasts back then. So reading a lot of books on leadership, like really helped me. And I also say drinking wine. That was like my first introduction to wine with my mother-in-law, because she was living with me at the time while they were building their house. And I just remember thinking like, there's got to be a way, there's got to be a way that we're going to come out of this. And sure enough, like I said, it was the best learning lesson. Some of the lessons that I learned during that time, like I've carried on to business today. And then from there, we went back into the sales and developed another sales team here in Arizona when my second son was born. So I did that for three years. My second son was born. I I decided to take a break is what I call it and be the stay-at-home mom. But that didn't last for very long. And I give it up to a lot of stay-at-home moms. And, And for a while, I thought, is there something wrong with me? I know that this is like a podcast with moms maybe listening, you know, because I'm not, I don't want to stay at home. I actually want to work. It's not that I don't love my kids any less. It's just, I have a different DNA and I have to own that. And so I ended up building a second team. I became the fourth biggest agent out of 80,000 agents at the time. So that told me that like, whatever the role was, I was going to figure it out, even if it meant during hard times, even if it meant like, I can't hire people here. Let me figure out this whole concept of virtual assistant. So in 2010, we hired our first virtual assistant or 2000 and I should say nine. Then we built a whole team that we had teams all over the world. And that was a whole nother skill set that I had to learn is like, how do I lead people that are not in my office, that are not physically part of my team, that I get to see day to day, but work for me day to day. 
So that led to other opportunities. And we took that team into 23 cities. Then I was recruited back into corporate in the startup tech world. So our big companies in the prop tech is what we say, your Zillow's, your Open Door. I got to be part of some of the programs and some of the consulting for that. And then I went into coaching. It is such an amazing story. And I want to talk about a couple of things that allowed you to create this success along the way. But before we get there, there are a lot of people that will listen to this and they'll be like, 19, you started, 25, you were the CEO. Well, you must have had a background that set you up for success. And you must have been led by your parents or your childhood to be able to do this. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that for yourself. Yeah, my parents were not in the business, real estate whatsoever. We came from humble beginnings. They were not rich. They were not middle class. I saw them live paycheck to paycheck, if not borrow money from friends and family. And so I think that's what really prompted me to be like, how do I help my parents, like in our culture, how do I help them not struggle? And that's what opened me up to real estate. My dad did own a business. And I just remember, even at the age of 16, I left school The school allowed me to leave half day to actually work. And so I got into cell phone sales. I started learning stocks. I knew probably that I was always going to be in business, probably in high school. I didn't know what type of business, but I studied. I read Success Magazine. I learned about stocks during high school only because I was in the cell phone sales market. And so I learned about companies like Nokia, Samsung. And so when I would do these presentations, to go into these tech companies of like, how do I sell them a whole account for all their employees to do cell phones? I actually, they would ask me questions, which got me intrigued to learn about stocks. Yeah. And if I remember you saying at your event, on top of your background of not really being led to, you know, real estate, that you really chose that path for yourself, English is also your third language. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think those are such important parts of the story. So you were able to navigate this part. You chose to have your family and not allow that to take a backseat while you're creating all this success, which I think is just so amazing. But what did that support look like? Like you said, you know, staying home isn't for everyone. And for those that don't resonate with that, you should definitely go pursue your own goals and fulfillment outside of that. But that doesn't mean that you don't have support. You need support to be able to do that. So what did that support piece look like for you to be able to show up as this amazing, ambitious woman outside of the home? I think sometimes we as mothers come to a choice of, do I pursue my career or do I become a good mom, right? Or what is good mom? And I think it's, you got to define what good mom is so that you can understand what mom guilt is and all the other things. And I think that took some work. I just knew from when I was 19, when I would see other agents in my office, they would bring their kids to work or to the office and they would be sitting on their chairs sleeping at 10 o'clock at night because their mom was busy writing contracts. And I remember a doctor telling me because I had a bike accident that I would never be able to have kids. So if I ever had the privilege to have kids that I was not going to do that. So it's very rare that like my kids ever go to the office or even when I was running the office, they barely went there. They would be there for events or they'd be there to help with food drives or different community events, but they weren't there to see like mom work. Although I do think that's important. 
but I do think that there's boundaries. And so I just saw that. And what ended up happening with that story was so powerful in my life because they ended up getting a divorce. And so I was like, and I probably correlated that definition looking back of like, I don't want to do that because I don't want to break up my family. Like money's not that important for me. And so when I'm present with my kids, I'm present with my kids. Yeah, definitely. And so how are some of the ways that you received help from people when you weren't present with your kids, like daycare, having friends and family step in, nanny support? What did that look like for you to be able to know that they were safe and sound and cared for when you couldn't be there? So my parents were immigrants to the country. And when we were growing up, mom and dad weren't really around. So I already had that in my background that my grandparents who lived with us on, and we would see my other sets of grandparents, like they kind of took care of us as we were growing up. But we understood as kids, like they told us as we were kids, like we are going to do this to get into a better neighborhood. We are going to do this to make it here in America. Like we don't have much. And so we understood that I think at a really young age, me and my brothers of like mom and dad are going to work, not because they don't love us. If anything, they do because they want us to have a better life, but they have to work for income to pay the bills and to provide us a great life. Because we grew up, I remember being born in Oakland. It wasn't the best area, but eventually we got out of what I would say the ghetto area and moved into a neighborhood. So we respected that. So when it came to me having kids, I knew that I probably need, would need leverage. My in-laws lived down the street from us. If not, they were with us for six months while they were building their house. And then my parents, I eventually had bought them a house in Vegas and then moved them over to an exit away, right? I'm very fortunate that when my kids were little, even when my mom was single, because she had gone through a divorce, when we came home from the hospital with Bryce and she was a retired nurse, it felt good to know that like, had to burp the baby because I thought I was hitting him too hard. And so she was there. And so we had that help and we made some changes because we obviously moved my parents. So I want to take it back to business for a little bit. You have created six, seven, eight figure businesses. And you talked a lot about the leadership that you were able to learn the skill sets around and how you were able to really grow and evolve yourself to be able to really lead these businesses and these teams. What would you say overall it takes for a business owner to take a multiple six-figure earning business and turn it into a seven or eight-figure earning business? I think it's the way you think about the business. And as you get higher into that seven, eight figures, it's going to be leading people. You're going to have different people that you hire. You're going to look at talent completely different. I just actually had this conversation on Friday. Today, I would invest in a $200,000 salary because I know the impact that it could do for our business, right? I'm always constantly looking for talent. Anytime that I have a conversation with somebody, it's like, where could I provide an opportunity? I believe that we're meant in this world to create opportunities for others and to give amazing value back to the world. Mm, I love that so much. And that's such a great way to lead your children, right? For them to see you lead with giving others opportunity while also giving yourself opportunity and expanding yourself in your business. I love that so much. You know that our audience is comprised of moms who have aspirational goals, and you are definitely one of them. Is there anything specifically that you're sure to insert into your life for your family, for yourself, for your friend and friends and network to make sure that you do have that life balance with your family? Yeah. 
I think that balance is defined completely different from one person to another. And if you think that all like balance is all equal and your business is completely equal to the time that you spend with your family, I think that's almost like a false reality. I've yet to see it in all the thousands of people I've met, even successful people is like, it's almost integration. And I've learned that it's mom's going to work and you might have to come and meet a client with me. And I love it when they actually can see it. Like we did a flip with my kids for the first time. They've heard about flips, but they actually were part of the process. And I think they have a better understanding of what that looks like, of what budget looks like. And I would say that there's things that I do. The first part of my Mondays are my flame work and it's my strategic work. So I run off a, I know it's, it's a little crazy, but I run off a thing called a GPS, which is goals priorities and strategies. And so like it's it's a spreadsheet. And so like each hat that I wear in every single business, along with like my family, it's like I've got family goals, yearly goals. I've got dates with my kids that I do because I want to get to know them outside of their schedule, right? When we're rushing from like practice to another practice to school, the conversations are so surface. Like how do we get deeper and how do I get to understand how they're thinking? And one thing that I learned early on is I'm never going to be able to tell my kids how to behave or what's right and what's wrong because I'm not going to be there when somebody tries to influence them. And being probably in my role that I had at such a young age, I said, if I could teach them leadership, if I could teach them what it means to be a leader, even when nobody's watching, they have the ownership of making the right decisions and owning those decisions or not even right, the most effective decisions for them at that time. And they can own it. Yeah. And I love the owning it part too, because if they don't make maybe the most perfect decision, then how do you learn from it and evolve and come back? Because that's true self and team leadership, right? So I absolutely love that. I just think that sometimes when our kids fail, we tend to want to, and it's the mama bear sometimes even in me, that I want to go and try to like solve it for them. And what I've realized, and I tell my team this as well, is like you rob the opportunity of them and their growth. Every time that you speak for them, every time that you talk for them or solve it for them, like that loses their creativity, right? That play. And it loses their growth of who they actually were going to become versus what you were going to put on them, who they should be. And that's a hard skill set. But like you said, leadership for your team and your family. So once we have that leadership skill and once we believe that we can build this alongside motherhood and you can really step into the next level of yourself, your business or your career, how do you allow yourself to change kind of your money mindset and your mindset around playing bigger and what's possible, especially if you haven't seen that built out for you in your past, if you haven't seen that modeled from your past? Do you have any thoughts on how you created that for yourself and how you advocate for that in your team members or anyone that you coach, how to really work through that money mindset? The money mindset of making more, the money mindset, is that the Yeah, the money mindset of what is possible in terms of you as an individual and just what you can create. I think that no matter what level you're at, because we're going and shooting for another scary level, you have to rewire your brain sometimes of what that stretch looks like. So even going from six to seven, seven to multiple sevens, and even from like to eights or 
from eight to nine. And I see this all the time as I coach people is like they almost self-sabotage themselves before they even get to that seven, before they even get to that eight, because they're not worthy enough or they're not deserving enough or, you know, who are they? And that that whole imposter is imposter syndrome, which I think it's a phenomenon because I think that it's not imposter. I think you believe that there is some type of thing that you resonate and that's the success that you actually are feeling, you just can't see it yet. So like, let's go run to that. And so I think that when you're going from those different levels, it's who do I need to become so that I can receive that? And I think money is just a tool. So no matter how much money you make, if you're a bad person, and and I've heard this even from our mentors is you're going to do bad things with it. And some of us have been taught like money is evil. It's only evil if you do evil things with it. But I know a lot of great people and a lot of wealthy people that have done so much good with money. And it may not mean like, hey, eight or nine figures. So I'll give an example is like some people are at that point of I do want to make seven figures, yet their brain or their mindset isn't quite there. So they almost feel guilty even saying that. So they have to work on some of the mindset stuff in that because it's like, do I really deserve that? Or maybe I don't even need that much, right? You'll start to hear these excuses, but it's like, what if you actually could, and you, if you didn't need it, could give the rest away and help organizations and help a cause and help people because you don't need it. Yeah, you can't help as many people with resources you don't have. And I think that's such an important takeaway. Are there any books, mentors, specifically resources that have helped you through this for maybe that mom that's just like, I hear you, but that's really far-fetched and I'm not really sure how to navigate even my next step, that they could just take one action to move towards allowing themselves to think bigger and play bigger, if you will, in that way around money that's possible for them, their business, or their family. I think it's looking at what's possible and then thinking about what could happen if that was possible and that was true. Another exercise I would think about is writing down all the challenges that you overcame. You're stronger than you think. If you look at that list of all the challenges you came, your six to seven might be recognizing all the hard stuff you actually overcame. And it actually becomes easier. I think it's having the awareness of like, what's possible? What could I do? And keep in mind that it may not be for you to keep. It may be for you to spread or maybe for you to give opportunities to, or maybe for you to provide for other people. So moving from the mindset into more the tactical pieces, because I think business and personal success, it comes from strategy and mindset. They're kind of the two buckets that you play in between. So on the more tactical pieces, outside of company culture, is there any real kind of foundational must-have pieces that you believe a business, whether real estate or investments, that you're like, you got to make sure you have this strategy in place, kind of overarching? Yeah. First, I think I always call it coming down to like the five C's and we teach this framework a lot. doesn't matter what business you're in. It's where I'm able to find gaps in other people's business. I could look at any business. I'm very confident that I could look at any business today and I could tell you where you're leaving money on the table by just asking you a few questions. So the first C is clarity. Where does Kelsey actually want to scale to? Where do you actually see your business going to? Is it a dollar amount? Is it you want to provide whatever? Is it you guys are on a mission to change the world? What is that clarity piece? It's just like you're running a mile. If you're running a mile, you would actually need to know where the start line is and the finish line is, right? And so that you can get better over time. 
Second is, what is your capacity? When I think about capacity, it's and a lot of people are hiring coaches or being in masterminds. If you don't have time in your schedule to actually implement, you're never going to get to that next level. So it's like, what needs to come off your schedule or what, how does Kelsey operate on a weekly basis? So I keep her in her zone of genius. What does her capacity look like? What can we leverage off? What can we automate? What can we delegate? So I look at capacity. Then we think about core foundations. What are the core foundations in this business? The first question that comes to mind all the time is how does the business make money? I want to know how the business makes money because if it's a jobby, meaning it's a job or a hobby, right? Some of us have built businesses. It was a hobby at first. Then it's like we have shackles to it because we built it where now we're working all the time without strategy, that could be an issue to like burnout, right? So it's like, what are the core foundations? What do we have in place so that we can kind of build off of that? And then the next is like, what pieces are missing? So we start to like create machines of, is there a revenue model here? Is there a lead marketing problem, brand problem? Is there a fulfillment service problem? You know, how do you serve your clients? And then the last is collaboration. You're constantly auditing as you're scaling and as you're growing your businesses of like what's working, what's not working, how do we pivot faster? So you're not looking at the end of the year or the end of the month going, we didn't hit goal. We didn't hit the revenue goal. Now I got to let go of people. And now inflation's rising. Like we should, we already knew that even in a product business, right? Like things start and go up. So it's like, where do we have to actually do more sales in this business? Those were such great takeaways and having the five C's. I'm a huge fan of having that like memory of five C's. Got it. Now I can run through them. Thank you so much for sharing that. And going into maybe the next two C's of company culture, right? So I'd love for you to talk about how do you implement a strategic, a growing and evolving company culture that is making sure that you're getting what you need and want out of your team without micromanaging? Mm, I think that's more of an expectation conversation. So we actually just onboarded another employee and we'll uh, do another one on December 1st. So for every person that comes into our organization in any of our businesses, we do a kickoff call. And what that looks like is why does this business exist? What's the mission? What's our core values? Because I will hire somebody off of core values first, even more so than experience, believe it or not. Because if they're coachable, they're adaptable, they love to grow, I can teach them a lot of things, right? I can shortcut that path and I can invest in them by even having them go into classes or having an hour with a couple people in my circle to learn whatever it is. And then as far as like results happen, so for us, we have weekly, monthly goals. Our leaders do one-on-ones with everybody in the organization. And part of that one-on-one is so strategic, but it's like, are we on the same path? Where can I help you grow? Like, it's not just business, but it's also personal. I think that's why a lot of people have stayed with me for a really long time. My longest one is 13 years. I've got VAs that have stayed with us six, seven years. But it's because we take care of our people. Like, I don't put a ceiling on to anybody. If somebody says, Raquel, I want to run the company, I'm like, awesome. Let's figure out a way how we do that, right? Like, I believe in abundance. And I believe that, like, if somebody really wants to do something, like, I'm going to make that path for them because I would love for them to do it within our world versus go outside and start something else. If they want to go start a business, I want to help them. Like, I'm not afraid to do that. 
I love that because it does pour back into you. And sometimes they can do both, right? And I know even when I started my business, it actually made me show up as a better employee because I was learning new skill sets. Now I still come in and consult them on all the things that I've learned in my own business. And we still have that relationship. I think because they allowed me to say, hey, you know, if you want to pursue that, that's great. And there wasn't a place for me to grow to where I needed in that organization, but you can still have that reciprocal relationship. And you just never know, like, if you your worlds will come back together. Yeah, I love that. So it sounds like you've done a great job retaining your employees. But before you get to retention, how would a small business owner make their first hire? We have a whole, like, system around that because I've made a lot of bad hires in my life. And remember, like, I've probably recruited maybe over a thousand people. So like you start to see patterns really fast, even in the language that they use. And that's just depending on if I'm hiring somebody as a COO, that's more strategic, that's going to have more ownership in the business, or somebody that's just starting with us fresh out of high school, fresh out of college, completely different skill set. How would we hire is our first thing is, I think we need to figure out and I've made lots of mistakes around this is like, what do we need right now? right? Because sometimes we hire because we like the person. And now we're trying to figure out a role for them in the company. And then you're moving them from roles to roles. And here's the thing. If you are moving somebody in your organization right now, from role to role, or you're taking things off and putting things on, they're probably the wrong person in that role. And they probably shouldn't be at your company. I know it's harsh and I know it's hard, but I see it all the time with a lot of companies we consult today is if we're saying that they're moving from one to another, they're in love with the person and the personality, not their skill set of the of the job role and results. And in a company that's scaling or growing, you need results and secondaries like you got to be able to hang out with them if you had to. Do you think there is an exception to that if like their skill set has outgrown their position? as they grow as a person, you were saying that you do invest in your employees to say, hey, you can grow with me. Where can we find a spot for you? So how do you know if you're kind of having that differentiation of, oh, I'm just moving this person because I like them or really sitting and being like real with yourself of like, no, 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 this is a good fit because their skill set is better matched for another role. How you would know that is if you took a job role. So we find out what's missing. So we call this like a missing person report. So like even the person that's going to start with us on December 1st, it's another like personal assistant slash business, 70% on the business, 30% on the personal side. One of my main things is like, how do you gain minutes for Raquel? How can you look at somebody's Raquel's calendar and how do you make her even more efficient? That's like one of her roles, because that allows me to make more opportunities with all across all, all the, all the stuff that we manage today. Now, how you would actually know if is this the person? Usually it's actually opposite. It's like the company starts to grow and there's a lot of friction and the person hasn't leveled up in the skills or the company's gotten too big. So we call that cul-de-sac talent. I'm always watching for that, right? Where do they like stop being enthusiastic? Where did I fail to show up as a leader? Sometimes as, as CEOs, we have the tendency to delegate quicker than they can receive and not properly coach them and support them and train them. It's you got to make sure that that handoff is correct. It's just like when your baby was walking, right? It's like, how many times did they fall and you allow them to fall, but you're like, keep getting back up, keep getting back up. I think sometimes as because our businesses are also our babies, when employees make a mistake, it's almost like you did it wrong. You take the job back where it's like, can you tell me why you did that? And then tell me like, what would you do differently knowing what 
outcome, right? It's like all the coaching and the supporting it's for you to figure out where what they were thinking and where you were missing instructions or directions. Yeah, I love that. And it sounds like, you know, taking that into consideration and some of the other frameworks you've talked about, you have so many good systems and workflows and maybe even some automation in your business that allows you to scale to these higher levels and really support yourself and your team. What are some examples of those systems and workflows that are not just applicable to entrepreneurs because you do have that corporate team experience as well that you just like live and die by? My calendar, for sure. Every month I review our P&Ls for the business and I think about where do we need to pivot? I look at the growth of all of our employees and go, where can I help them grow even more? What are we missing? Where do I like stop complacency and help? I mean, if you know that you're going to come work for us, like you're going to grow, you're going to play bigger, right? Not only in business, but also in life. And so, so my must is obviously calendar. I have lots of tech that help me. I look at dashboards every Monday. All my Mondays are typically set for Kelsey, right? (laughs) Is all of my CEOs and all of my partners or all the key people that I lead in these organizations or in these businesses. So it's my one-on-one time with them. And it's not like, hey, how's the family? We have other opportunities for that where I bring the team together. We do happy hour. We do vision day. We do whatever. We go have fun. We go on vacation. Whatever that is, that's like my time to learn about them. But in my Monday meetings, I stack them back to back of like, how are they performing? It's almost like a mini audit of where we're at as far as moving the needle. Like that's like non-negotiable for me. That's why I think that Monday morning is so strategic of like, how do I plan into what we got going on? Who do I need to connect with? I live and die probably by rituals. I've got weekly rituals, monthly rituals. I work out just to move my body before I think 10 years ago, it was like to lose weight or to have like some goal. But for me, it's like, how do I fill my cup so that I can impact more people? Yeah. And I love that you talk about all of that as a ritual, because I think those that are new to the uh, kind of self-development space. They think of rituals as a little more on the side of like woo and mindset. And it's really not. It's just having a routine and a schedule and a system to your life and your operation. So I love that you kind of bring that in as that's all a ritual, depending on how you want to look at it. A ritual, a rhythm, a cadence to the company, but things have to happen. Just like performance reviews have to happen. Quarterly goals have to happen. Yearly goals have to have been. If not, then we're not holding ourselves accountable. I love that. So for those that come from kind of the background of, you know, investing in yourself maybe looks like college tuition or it's in your corporate environment of going to whatever that Excel training is or that emotional intelligence training that they take you to, how would you talk about investing in yourself for a coach when you're in the corporate space as well as an entrepreneur? How do you know if coaching is for you? One, I think you got to determine if you're ready to be coached. And I think sometimes people hire coaches or even, and I've made this mistake too in our organizations, is I will hire a coach for one of our people and they're just not ready or they don't see the value. I also believe that like when you pay, you actually pay attention. So when there's ownership of you actually investing your own money and maybe like we'll reimburse you back, I see a way bigger and a different results between the two. When the company pays for even a trip, 
when the company pays or when they pay for the trip or like a conference themselves and we reimburse them right after because they showed up, they show up completely different. Wow. I love that because I have seen companies do it both ways where there's some that they will reimburse you for after a certain amount of time or they'll pay you. But I love that you're like, hey, as soon as you show up, we're going to reimburse you, but we want you to go get what you need out of it and then come back. I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think that like when you are, let's say you are ready to find a coach, you know, think about where is it that you want to grow? I don't think that there is a one size fits all. I think there are specialized coaches that specialize in different things. So sometimes we say, hey, this is going to be my one-on-one coach. They're also going to be my therapist. They're also going to be all the things. They're also going to be my friend. And I really think that like, is there a specific action? So I joined like in the last 30 days, I probably have joined five masterminds. All of them, like you probably would say like, that's crazy, Raquel, but all of them serve a different purpose. One's a wealthy mastermind, right? One is a marketing mastermind, but I have different team members on different things because it's what I know what we need for going into 2023. For those that are like, yes, I'm ready to be coached. Yes, I need support in these different areas, but they're just really hesitant in that financial commitment, either as an individual or for their business organization. What are some ways that you walk through that and also encourage your team members because they're putting it up front first to say, hey, you know, this is the right step for you or is it? Yeah, I think there's a lack of belief in yourself because think about it. You're betting on yourself when you make that investment. And I remember at 19, I didn't have a car yet. I was borrowing my parents' car. I started the business and somebody told me I had to get a coach and it was $1,000. That was more than my, what my parents were paying for their house. It was more than rent. It was more than a new car, car that I probably should have got. But it was the best thing because it scared the crap out of me. And guess what? I showed up because it was so much. And even in 1999, it was $1,000. That, that's a lot of money a month, right? So I showed up. And outside of those coaching calls, I was working on a lot of different things to be ready and prepared for that next call or to be prepared and ready for when we met in person because we had like four events every one once a quarter of like, I didn't want to come to the table because I felt like it was a privilege to have a coach. I didn't want to come to the table and go, I did nothing. So that like really probably, and it's the same thing when you hire a trainer in the gym. When I go work out, I don't work out as hard as if Ruth was right next to me, right? And she was like on my butt. Um, she probably pushes and stretches me more so that I'm capable of, of because she sees different things and she sees progression and growth and I'm ready for it. Yeah. And then that accountability for the times that you work out and you're not with her when you get back together and she's like, all right, Raquel, how did this go? We weren't together. And it's definitely applicable. It's the same thing. I love that. So, you know, in the Mama Has Goals app, we feature female entrepreneurs, some coaches as resources for women, and they take you to a certain level. And that's one way that you can vet through who might be the right coach for you. But what are some of the other ways that you believe is a good process for vetting for coaches or doing the right proper research to know if someone's a good fit for you? Yeah, I think that this happens a lot with how social media works today. And I learned that the hard way being in the online space in the last two years, because I ran brick and mortar, right, for so long in businesses across the country as offices in brick and mortar, there was no, none of this online stuff. So when I like remember, like, how do I know what a good social media manager was versus like what they show on their feed versus what's like really behind the scenes. How are they actually going to deliver? So I say like the same process as if you were going to interview somebody in your business, you would ask them a million questions. 
And I would say for coaches, it's going to be different depending on like what I would look for in a financial coach or in a wealth coach is completely different than what I would look for in a business coach. But I want to vet them. So that's the other thing is like everybody sometimes looks great online, but by speaking to them and by asking them the question, like, how do you work? What's your experience? Like to me today, just learning some of the mistakes that I made is one, I'd find out the people that you trust, who they refer, because that's always an easy place to start. If your friends trust them, but don't always think that like, that's also the right coach for you because you might need something different, right? So that's why I say it's like, figure out what you want, figure out like, what do you think makes a good coach, right? For your thing, like, do you want accountability? Do you want more strategic? Do you want to be more tactical? Or do you want somebody that's in your mindset and like, more woo, right? Where everything kind of flows. I mean, everybody has different needs. So now it's like, here's the needs that I want. How do I ask the right questions so that it makes me feel confident in my decision to invest with them? Mm, Yeah. And you shared that you've invested in quite a few masterminds recently. I know over the years you've invested in coaches and mentorship. What are some of the benefits that you've personally received for yourself or for your team from coaches and mentors? Yeah. One thing that I always look for is experience because to me, if I'm going to go through a situation or if I'm going to go through a problem, whether it's social media or it's in business, I want to know that they've got the experience and the expertise behind it to give me the right advice by looking at all the different angles. So that's just like a non-negotiable for me. And my team will also tell you that too, is like, I got to look at experience, how they built a business before, how do they run their business? Do they show up on time? For me, like, time, you don't get that back. Like if I'm having this conversation with Kelsey, like my focus is here, nothing else. Right. And so like, if I'm going to interview, whether it's an accountant, whether it's a coach and they show up late, that means like, that's my first impression. They didn't care. How much more are they going to care about my business? If they're taking it in the car, you're just a transactional client to them. Like a lot of my coaches, they're like partners now for me in the business. And I take that very serious because they see my blind spots, but they also can formulate some of my thoughts and that that can impact my employees, that can impact the company. So what are some of the biggest benefits or transformations that you've seen in yourself from receiving that guidance? The way you think, the way you're exposed to different things. I think some of the coaches can give you access to networks that I don't think I would have had this quick of access to. I think looking at some of the networking opportunities or their circle. And I always ask every single coach, who's coaching you? Because all great coaches have good coaches, even Tiger Woods, even like all the athletes, right? They have multiple coaches. They're never without a coach. And we help athletes today. It's like, they don't, they have multiple coaches. So it's like, how can you tell somebody to invest in something if you're not willing to be coached yourself? Where does that growth stop? Yeah, I love that question. And also just like the trickle down effect that you're going to receive, like when you know that they are investing in that, what is being poured back into you from those higher levels. So that is huge. And I think it's also fast tracked a lot of our mistakes, right? We could have gone into a lot of bright and shiny objects because it looks good. I mean, Black Friday is around the corner, right? And there's a lot of sales and a lot of things are going to look good. And the reason why they're going to look good is we probably might have a lack of strategy or focus in our business that we want to grab all the things because they're cheap. Let's say if they weren't cheap, were they, would you actually still be grabbing them? Yeah, that's super important perspective right now. 
you've coached some amazing businesses and you've created a lot of success in your clients. I'd love for you to talk about maybe a story or one of the biggest growths that you've seen with one of your clients. How have you allowed for some of this impact to be achieved by your clients in their business and personal lives? Yeah, one of them was, well, there's several, like, because we measure that, by the way, on every call. It's like, how how much did we grow? How much did the business grow? How, where did you grow in your personal life? We measure it all the way because I just want to know that we're impacting them and that we're still continuing to add value. So I'll give an example of an online coach. And it was probably one of our first, like, online business because we wanted to see, do the principles stay the same regardless of industry? And so what was really interesting is she had come to me already successful, but like our first challenge, and my, it might have been my challenge, my inside head challenge of like, how do I get her to create 100K in a month? And so we built a plan of like where her goals were and it was going to take a year. But I was like, I know with her talent, we can do this in two months. I just knew. And so I was like, let's have her think a little bit different about what a sprint looks like in her business, because then she can just have fun. And sure enough, you know, we figured out like through clarity where the pieces were missing, where her zone of genius was, because what I was going to build for her might be completely different. What I'm going to build for Kelsey, because maybe Kelsey wants to do something different. Maybe she has different strengths that this person didn't have as an online coach. And we measured it. And we didn't have to like launch per se. We just had to come up with a model where she had consistent revenue. So I'm always about like, if something happened and she had an emergency, Kelsey had an emergency to go get the kids, like would her business still make money, right? Because when you sell a business and when you exit a business, the first thing that they're going to look at is like, what are you collecting? And we call this MRR, your monthly recurring revenue that you've created that it's still going to operate without you. It's you're still going to collect payments because you've like sold some program and it's 12 month payment plan. Yeah. And I think for those listening that are like, oh, I don't want to step into like a giant entrepreneurship. Like this is applicable in so many things, right? Like real estate can be one of those things. It can be like ebooks. It can be all sorts of things. What Digital are some? Products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would love for you to just name a couple of the ways that people can have recurring revenue that maybe they wouldn't be thinking about. Payment plans, for sure, are your biggest ones. You can have digital products that constantly are in a funnel. You can have upsells. You can do VIP days with something on the back end as like an integration program. You can have affiliates, partnerships that you can do that constantly collect money for her too. One of her buckets were a network marketing that she had had for a while, but we just upped that. And like, how do we intertwine all of it so that she doesn't have to work harder, but she can actually work smarter. You recently hosted your first ever event called Play Bigger, and I was so lucky to be there and meet you for the first time and meet your sons. And the event was amazing. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, the back end of what the event looks like and the behind the scenes and the stress that you kind of carry with, but also stepping into this big milestone. And many don't understand the weight and the importance and how amazing it is to really create that for your community. So what was it like bringing the community that you've cultivated together into one room for the Play Bigger event? 
It is so hard to describe the words that you feel when you look back at the event. Like I could actually cry anytime I speak about this event. This was something that was super passionate on my heart. I wanted to bring women together. I wanted there to be a safe place. I wanted to bring powerful women that could be their true authentic self and be supported and feel connected and in a very diverse room. So that came about because I had a really good friend, neighbor, that had passed away. And I was building all these companies and she would always see me stressed out. And one day I lost her. She was like my neighbor. She would be there when I like broke my ankle. She'd be there to go pick up the kids from sports. And her name was Amy. She ended up even getting her real estate license and ran our team for a little bit, was one of my biggest producers. And so every time that I think about her, I'm like, what would it look like if everybody had an Amy in her life, in their life? Because no matter how big the goal was, she was always like, you could do it. You could freaking do it. Like she always gave me that belief. I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking something crazy. She's like, Oh my gosh, why go for it. And so she was that friend. And I just remember when I lost her, it really made me think about how important relationships were more so than the money. Because I think sometimes when we get to a goal, we're like, that's it. What happens next? You know, but one thing you can't replace is relationships. And so having our first women's retreat was a big deal for me. And then having this first event and bringing some women together, the ripple effect that I get and the messages I get from that event, people have started companies together. People have collaborated together. People have invested together. I mean, they trust each other enough. People all said that that event, I got the most business and the most clients from that event without even knowing that I was going into that event for that, right? But it's, I think at the end of the day, it's how you build the relationship. It's how you show up. It's how you connect and what you do after. And just to know that we were able to hold a container in that space for all of that to happen, like brings me so much joy. And I always say that like, I wish Amy was here, but like now I gained a ton of like hundreds of Amy's in my life since that's happened. And I'm able to do things like that and still remind everybody that she's still around. I love that so much. And, you know, a big part of my story was about what story would I leave behind and how amazing that even though Amy's not here with us anymore, the ripple effect she's created and the story that she does leave behind and for her son to see also and that you've been able to create. So how amazing that you've been able to take that and carry it for her. I just applaud you for doing that for yourself, for your kids, for Amy. Like, thank you. And being able to allow a woman like me to be in that event and be in that room and have that ripple really washed over us, if you will. I really just, you know, appreciate it so much. Yeah, people will always remember the impact that you made and like how you, you know, created that relationship. They'll never know. They'll never know like on your tombstone how many houses you sold or how much money you made. Like people are going to talk about like the impact that you had or the relationship that you brought to the table or the memories that they had of you. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think really I had no idea going into that event. I had a friend that recommended that I go. They're like, you need to be here. You need to be in this room. I was like, great, I'm going. I went and I was blown away by how you showed up and not even knowing all these amazing things that we talked about today that you've created and the really the legacy that you're leaving behind in all those different aspects for your community. You know, the seven, eight, nine figures and all the teams in international business. That's amazing. But truly the community you've cultivated, I'm so 
so grateful I got to see it in person. And I'm so grateful to see how you really move forward with that. And so with that, really this theme of playing bigger, if you could leave our listeners with one tip today to play bigger, to really step into that energy for their lives going forward, what would that be? People are waiting for you in this world to show your light. The more that you play bigger, the more that your kids see it, the more you get to impact the world with just your action and not even having to do any, like even say anything about it. And so when you think back and you look back, how did I play bigger will have a different meaning because you've inspired so many people by the actions that you took on a daily basis, no matter how big or how small. Thank you so much. Before I let you go today, I would love for you to just tell our listeners about your offerings, how they can connect with you, how they can work with you. If they're like, I am ready to play bigger. I want those numbers. How can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. We have some exciting things happening for 2023. And so if you guys want to send me a DM and just say VIP, I'll respond to you. I'll know. Let me know what you're looking for. Because even if we don't have it, I know somebody in my world that I can connect you with. And I'm all about connecting people. We'll put everything in the show notes, but it's Raquel Q on Instagram is the best way for you to be connected. Thank you so much for being here, Raquel. Your energy, your strategy, your mindset, really everything, how you bring it together is just unparalleled. And I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Mamas, if you love this episode, please follow Mama Has Goals on Apple Podcasts so you always know when you drop a new episode. And the most important thing is please leave a five-star review sharing your favorite part of this episode and follow us on Instagram at Mama Has Goals. See you next time. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you.